On Mother's Day, many children try to do something special for their moms, like give them a a personal letter, perhaps, to express their love. A third-grade teacher uh, from a number of years ago decided she'd have her her eight-year-olds write letters, write little cards to their moms. And there's just a couple of them I thought I would read to you. Pretty cute. Uh, Dear Mom, I'm going to make a dinner for you on Mother's Day. It's going to be a surprise. P.S. I hope you like pizza and popcorn. <laughs> I got you a turtle for Mother's Day, Mom. I hope you like the turtle better than, than the snake I got you last year. <laughs> Dear Mom, I wish Mother's Day wasn't always on Sunday. It would be better if it were on Monday so we wouldn't have to go to school. <laughs> Mom, I hope you like the flowers I got you for Mother's Day. I picked them myself when Mr. Smith wasn't looking. <laughs> And then my favorite, I guess I'd say, uh, Dear Mom, here are two aspirin. Have a happy Mother's Day. (laughs) Some of you moms think, I could use that gift once in a while. A couple of aspirin on Mother's Day. Well, our aim in my message this morning is just to honor motherhood. Uh, God designed it. God created it. God blessed it. The Lord Jesus Christ honored his mother. And in one of his final words on the cross, many of you know, he entrusted the care of his mother to the Apostle John. You know, there are millions of single women. Many who wish to be married may end up remaining single. Uh, There is grace from God for that, a special grace for it. In some cases, it may be actually a calling from God. Uh, There are women who are single mothers not by choice, Uh, And uh, Jesus Christ certainly has grace for that situation as well. There are women who are married and cannot have children. God gives grace for that as well. And there are mothers who try to weave together their mothering and their marriage and their home management. and try to weave that together with employment outside the home. Some because they have to, like single moms, or others believe it's necessary for them for other reasons. And our purpose today is not to address all of those different circumstances. Uh, Time would not permit, but my aim is to encourage the women who believe that your number one or that God's number one call on your life is to minister to your families, whatever structure your family may have, and to try to transmit to your family a God-centered, Christ-treasuring vision of life. You won't get much encouragement from the secular world, and the world certainly does not understand God's plan for the home. And I know in our mixed-up, topsy-turvy world, there are all sorts of unusual and strange circumstances. The uh, What sociologists used to call the nuclear family is, is slowly vanishing in our society. And there are all sorts of circumstances that uh, people find themselves in in this world today, some by sinful choices and some through no fault of their own. But I know that regardless of your situation, regardless of your circumstance, God has grace for your needs. God has grace and help and strength. And uh, I would like you, if you would, if you have a Bible nearby you, to look at Proverbs chapter 1 just want to read three verses from Proverbs chapter 1 today. We want to begin our thoughts with Holy Spirit-inspired words from one of the wisest men who ever lived. Many of you know Solomon's background. 
You may recall that his mother was Bathsheba. She had married Solomon's father, King David, under very, very ugly circumstances, very displeasing to God. And the first child from this adulterous affair had died as part of God's judgment. But then, just to remind us that no situation is beyond the redeeming grace of God, God gave David and Bathsheba another son. His name was Solomon, who became the king of Israel. And we won't take the time to read this particular story. I would encourage you to sometime. We're going to read here in Proverbs 1 in just a moment. But if sometime in your, uh, in your devotional reading, read uh, 1 Kings chapter 2. Uh, and you'll see that Bathsheba went to visit Solomon as the king. King David had died. Solomon was on the throne. Bathsheba went to King Solomon to ask him something as the king. When she entered the room, the king stood up. Kings don't stand up for anybody in that day or even in this day if there are kings left in this world. But Bathsheba entered the room and Solomon stood up. He walked over to her. He bowed before her. Then he went back and took his seat on the throne. And he had another throne brought in for Bathsheba set on his right hand. And she sat down in it. And then they began their conversation. I thought, wow, even a king stands to honor and bless his mother. Solomon was not a perfect king. He was not a perfect man. But God guided his insights and he preserved them for us here in the book of Proverbs. I'm just going to read verses 7 through 9 of Proverbs 1. And I've got six what I've called powerful implications from these verses for us. Proverbs 1, 7 through 9. Verse 7 is very familiar to many people. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. Let me share with you these six implications, I believe very powerful for us. The first one is this, the family is God's idea. Solomon kind of takes for granted in this passage that there are mothers and fathers and children all related to one another with unique responsibilities. In verse 8, when he says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching, this is just kind of a given with Solomon. He just figured that that's just kind of the way it's supposed to be. I understand it in this world today, it doesn't work that way. And lots of people grow up without fathers in their home. Hopefully they have a father image in their home someplace, a grandfather or an uncle or an older cousin or something. But a lot of people grow up without a father image in their home, but that doesn't mean that that's God's plan. God's original plan was for moms and dads to raise kids together. And so he talks about mothers and fathers teaching and the children listening. That's just kind of a given for him. The family was not some, some evolutionary development based on instinct. The family was ordained by God in creation. Many of you are familiar with Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, says God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, how are they to do this earth filling? By some sort of animal-like mating and pregnancies? Well, of course not. Genesis 2.24 kind of gives the answer to that, how that was supposed to happen. When God said, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife, 
and they shall become one flesh. A committed relationship between a man and a woman cleaving to one another alone in a one flesh union is God's idea of the family. When two people get married, you know what? You're already a family even if you don't have kids. The kids aren't what make the family. It's the union of husband and wife that actually makes the family. And a committed relationship between one man and one woman cleaving together, cleaving to each other alone. And that word means to stick like glue. That's what the word cleave means. That's, that's God's idea of the family. And when that's broken by a tragic death or a tragic divorce, there may have to be single parent families. And God has been faithful to millions of mothers and fathers who've had to raise children alone. But God's design, God's original purpose for the heart of the family was one man and one woman cleaving to each other as husband and wife and becoming one flesh in sexual union. And that was the way that he meant to fill the earth with human beings who would know and honor him and with couples whose relationship pictures his love and his commitment. Some of you are familiar with the wonderful passage in Ephesians chapter 5 where the Apostle Paul speaks of the union between husband and wife and the cleaving together between husband and wife as being a picture of Christ and the church. That kind of intimate relationship. But the family is God's idea and it's for God's glory. But the second implication in this passage is that the family is a school. The family is God's basic school for instructing children how to live in this world. As verse 8 said, Solomon said, My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. The father is the instructor, the mother is a teacher, therefore the family is a school. And God ordained the family not just to be fruitful and fill the earth with people, but to be fruitful and fill the earth with instructed people in the ways of the Lord. The family is the place where the next generation is born and where the next generation learns how to live. Doing life does not come naturally for human beings. There are, there are a few reflexes that come naturally, but we have to learn just about everything from the most basic skills of walking and talking and eating to the moral actions of courtesy and gratitude and respect and faith in Jesus Christ. The family is the school for God's this huge undertaking, teaching the next generation how to live in this world and how to be ready for the next. Then the third implication is that the fear of the Lord is the theme of this school. If the family is a school, and indeed it is, the foundation of family instruction is the fear of the Lord. The family isn't just a place where children learn how to eat and walk and say please and thank you, and tie shoes and ride bikes and eventually drive a car. The, the, the fear of God, the, the reverencing of God, the standing in awe of God, the trusting in God, that's what families are for. The family is God's idea, the family is a school, and the theme of the curriculum in this family school is the fear of the Lord, learning to walk and fear the Lord. Then the fourth impl implication is both mom and dad are responsible when Solomon wrote this passage, he didn't say fathers instruct and mothers change diapers. He didn't say fathers work hard and therefore have no responsibilities in the home. Nor does it say when moms work, they can turn the responsibility of teaching over to somebody else. 
It says fathers instruct and mothers teach. They share this responsibility. If you have your Bible handy, I would like you to look back at Deuteronomy chapter 1 for just a moment. Deuteronomy, sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Another pivotal passage when it comes to discipling and child rearing. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God, there it is again, to keep all His statutes and His commandments which I command you. You see, what's the point of fearing God? It's to obey. The point of, I mean, when I say, when a person says, I fear God, you know how we know if they really fear God? Because they do what God says. If you don't have the fear of the Lord, if you don't have this awesome respect for God, then you don't do what He says. And so you can say you fear God all you want, but, but that means nothing if we don't obey the Lord. That's why He says you can fear the Lord your God to keep His statutes and commandments. And notice the next phrase in verse 2, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life that your days may be prolonged. See, we've got generational discipling going on there. Moses says, I'm preaching this to you, and I want you to teach it to your son and your grandson all the days of your life. And they're supposed to keep doing that too. We call it generational discipling. And then he goes on in verse 4, and he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. What are the these words that I command you? It's verse four. Love the Lord with uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Those are the words that I command you. He said, shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and you shall buy, and, and, sorry, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You'll bind them as a sign on your hand. They'll be as frontlets between your eyes. Write them on the doorposts of your home and on your gates. Solomon is saying, I want this truth to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. I want it in your heart. He said, I want it in your daily life. I want it in your activities. I want you to talk about it when you're walking down the road. I want you to talk about it when you're working. I want you to talk about it when you get up in the morning, when you go down, when you lay down at night, when you're eating your meals. Every place you go, I want you talking about these things. I want you living these things. I want you to, discipling these things through, through the generations that you will fear the Lord and love Him and serve Him with all of your heart. And that responsibility is shared by both parents. Back in Proverbs chapter 1, Solomon says, Hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother. I've always thought it's interesting that Solomon uses that terminology a lot. He talks about fathers instructing, but you know when he talks about moms, he says, he uses that phrase, the law of your mother's. Interesting, interesting, interesting thought, isn't it? <laughs> Moms, lay down the law, right? It says, fathers instruct, but he says, don't forsake the law of your mother. Which brings us to our fifth implication here, and that is children are to submit to their parents. 
These two commands, hear the instruction, do not forsake the law of your mother. Uh, these two commands warn against the two common temptations of rebellion in young people. One happens when a child is home, the other happens when a child is away from home. If he's home, and I'm using he in the generic sense, don't take offense, fellas. When he's home, when a child is home, when a young person's home, Solomon says, hear your father's instructions. And the temptation of rebellion is to not listen when your parent speaks. And of course, you know when he says, hear the instruction of your father, he's not talking about sound waves piercing your eardrum. Okay? You, you all have had a parent or a teacher or someone say to you, do you hear me? They mean, are you plugged in? Are you getting it? Not do you hear my voice, but are you going to respond to my voice? That's what Solomon's speaking of. My son, hear the instruction of your father. That's the temptation is to not listen when you're at home. But then when you're away from home, the temptation is to forsake what you have been taught. So Solomon says, don't forsake your mother's law. Young people, when you're home, listen to your parents, your dorm parents, your teachers. Don't write off what they say. They do it for God's sake. This is so important in the eyes of the Lord that he made it part of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land. Honor your father or that father image in your life by listening respectfully when he speaks. Honor your mother by listening to and, and remembering what she taught you about right and wrong, about the fear of God when you're away from home and nobody can see except you and God. But then the sixth implication for us is that there is a promised reward. The promised reward is there in verse 9. They will be a graceful ornament on your head. What's the they? It's the instruction of your father and the law of your mother. They will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. And he doesn't mean chains as in you're chained up in a dungeon. Okay, The Hebrew words there indicate the graceful ornament is like a wreath or a garland around your head. It's a sign of honor. It's a, sign, it's a, it, it's, it's a prize. And the chain is a gold chain, a gold chain with a pendant. That's what the Hebrew word there means there. If you put a wreath around someone, I actually uh, watched the Kentucky Derby yesterday afternoon. We don't watch the 16 hours of prelim. They do for all of it, but I like to watch the two minutes of the race. And so anyway, they get all done. What do they do? They take that gigantic wreath of roses and they hang it around the horse's neck. They don't put it around the jockey's neck. They put the wreath, the huge wreath of roses around the horse's neck. By the way, if you didn't see the Kentucky Derby, you should watch the rerun. It was quite amazing at the end there. But anyway, uh, the, <laughs> it was crazy. The horse ranked 80 to 1 to win one. So anyway, but and he got the wreath of roses hanging around his neck. That's the wreath he's talking about, the graceful ornament, the prize, because you've accomplished something. The gold chain with the pendant, meaning you belong to someone important. And Solomon says, if you will listen to the instruction of your fathers and you will not forsake the law of your mothers. 
He said, it's going to be like a wreath of grace around your head and a necklace of honor around your neck. You'll be blessed because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And then I want to close our thoughts today with 2 Timothy in chapter 3. Just a couple of verses in 2 Timothy in chapter 3 and we'll be wound up here in just a moment. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Many of you know, written by the Apostle Paul to his son in the faith, Timothy, this was the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. He was martyred for Christ, most Bible students think, just a few weeks or a couple of months after he wrote these words. And he's writing to Timothy and he's talking about evil men growing worse and worse as the end times rolled along. And he says in verse 14 of chapter 3, 1 Timothy 3 and verse 14, he said, But you, speaking to Timothy, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Now I thought initially when I read that passage that he's talking about, Paul's talking about himself. Don't forget what I've taught you, Timothy. But then, as I was researching through this passage, I realized that pronoun whom is plural. Meaning he's talking about two or more people. Paul's not talking about himself here, and we get that clue when he says in verse 15, And from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. Who's Paul talking about knowing from whom you've learned it to Timothy? He's talking about his mother and his grandmother. We know that because in chapter 1, Paul says to Timothy in verse 5 of chapter 1, he talks about his mother and his grandmother, Lois and Eunice. And he says, you have learned the word of God from them. So see, Paul already had connected Timothy's faith with what he got from his mother and his grandmother. Another interesting clue we see in the book of Acts in chapter 16 and verse 1 is when uh, Dr. Luke writing in the, the book of Acts tells us how Paul chose Timothy as one of his missionary partners. And the scripture says there in Acts 16:1, Paul came to Derbe and Lystra, two towns, and he says there was a disciple there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman, but his father, who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. So Timothy came from a home with a believing mother and an unbelieving father. Very interesting. Timothy, Paul's son in the faith, his ministry partner, used by God in amazing ways, came from a home that was mixed ethnically and spiritually. His mother was Jewish and saved. His father was Greek and unsaved. That's why Paul didn't say Timothy learned the scriptures from his father, because he didn't. His father didn't believe them. But his mother and his grandmother sure did. And that's who Paul is referring to. And, he, and this, an interesting thing about this verse is that Paul is telling Timothy that, that remembering the character of your godly mother and your godly grandmother is a tremendous incentive to staying faithful to the scriptures. He says, you, Timothy, verse 14, you continue in the things that you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you learned them. He says, Timothy, you get, you get tempted to, to slide, you get tempted to fade, you get tempted to drift. He says, just think of your mother and your grandmother. 
And think of what they taught you. And think of their life. And think of their testimony. And think of what they did. And how they lived. And he said, from childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures. In other words, Paul says, Timothy, one of the ways, not the only way, but one of the ways to strengthen your faith and and persevere through hard times and not give up on the Scripture is to remember who introduced you to the Word of God and the way of salvation. Remember your mother and remember your grandmother. So in this text, God is giving great honor to motherhood and grandmotherhood. You have a calling from God, ladies, that can lay the foundation of faith, not just for your children, but for untold numbers of people who will be affected by your children. There can be a thousand ripple effects of faith that flow out from your life. That's a very high and holy and crucial calling, absolutely essential for the shaping of a God-centered Christ-honoring home and church and culture. So mothers and grandmothers, we love you. We honor you. We thank God for you. May God bless you as you try to minister to your families God's way. And may a thousand ripple effects of faith flow out from your life as you faithfully serve God in your family. Let's pray. Lord, this Mother's Day, we are grateful for all of the mothers and grandmothers uh, that we have here with us this morning. Lord, I pray several things for these ladies. I pray, first of all, that they will know Jesus Christ as their Savior. They will be absolutely certain they are on their way to heaven not because of some work that they've done, not because of some experience religiously that they've had, not because of some feeling they have in their heart, but because they know what Jesus Christ has done for them and they have submitted and bowed the knee to Him and they have been forgiven by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, for those who do know Jesus Christ as their Savior, I pray that their hearts will be encouraged and lifted up and strengthened today. We know that motherhood is very challenging. Rearing of children is very challenging. There are difficult days. There are dark nights. There are long nights. There are broken hearts. There are many tears. And yet we know, Lord, it is a great and holy and high calling to bring up children who love God and serve God for their lives. Lord, we pray for the mothers and grandmothers here who have children and grandchildren who do not know you. We know there's all sorts of circumstances, Lord, and that certainly is a true one in our society. Many people come to Christ and their families do not. And we know that there are many, many heartaches and many sorrows as we look at our children and grandchildren and and wonder about their relationship with the Lord. But Lord, I pray that these mothers and grandmothers here today will be encouraged and strengthened and and built up to keep moving on, to stay faithful, to keep serving God, to keep pursuing a deeper and stronger relationship with Jesus Christ. What a glory it will be one day, Lord, when we look back on our lives and we see 
all that you have done because of the faithfulness of the women in this room. May you bless them and encourage them and strengthen them today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.